Um, just a quick show of hands. If, somebody, if you ask somebody a question and they say, well, I've got some good news and some bad news, which do you want first? Who, who, who wants the good news first? Really? Okay, I, I wasn't expecting any hands at all, but fair enough. Who, who wants the bad news first? Yeah, okay, that's me as well. Yeah. Do we have a, a working PowerPoint at the moment, by the way? It's not a problem if we don't. We do. Brilliant. Okay, so the reason I mentioned that up front is that there is some good news and some bad news this morning, but I'm hoping the title gives you a bit of an idea that it's going to get better. I am going to start with the bad, and there's a reason for that. We're looking at a series on what abundant life in the gospel is like, and we're taking the book of Romans as our sort of primary text in that, and we have got some fantastic stuff to look at today about our identity, but really to properly understand it, we need to get the full understand it. Sorry, say that again. In order to properly understand it, we need to really get the full idea of where we have come from in order to properly appreciate what God has done. And so to get that kind of picture firmly in our minds, I want you to imagine that you come down one, oh, pressed the wrong way, there we go. Come down one morning and on the doormat there are two letters and one of them's from HMRC. Now this does happen to me. Um, I have this ongoing running battle with HMRC because they think I'm two different people, one called A.R. McNichol and one called S.R. McNichol. I have no idea where that came from. And they both get tax returns. Um, (laughs) At some stage, somebody needs to help me sort that out. But thankfully, so far, it's not resulted in in a red letter from them. But I want you to imagine that that first envelope there is a demand from the tax man for a very, very large amount of money. Why have I chosen tax? Well, for me anyway, and I don't know if you resonate with this, tax is something weighty, something authoritative, and there's something very final about it. You don't really feel like you can argue. And I think that accurately represents how we can think about the prospect of judgment, which ultimately is one part, significant part of the gospel. So we're going to start off with the bad news, but keep, keep in mind there is good coming. Don't walk out halfway through. Get a real idea of what Paul says in Romans 3, which is our primary text, and we're going to come to it in just a second. We need to take a bit of a a whistle-stop tour through Romans 1 and 2. Because at that time, if you were talking about the one true God, there was a way of kind of dividing up the world. There were probably other ways you could have done it, but this was a key way. Either you were a Jew who was brought up with the ways of God and you had the law, or you were somebody else. We call them Gentiles. But so you had these two different types of person. And Paul, through Romans 1 and 2, basically takes the time over and over again to show how everybody is in trouble, whether you're a Jew or whether you're not a Jew. And everybody has something to answer for. This is our tax letter, if you like. So we're all in trouble. This is the bad news. This is his argument, and I'm just going to cover it off briefly. He says... The people who have grown up without God, the Gentiles, they've exchanged God for a lie. They've taken God out of his place in creation and they've swapped him for something else, whether it was other gods, you know, spiritual beings with names, as it would have been particularly in Roman and Greek cultures, or whether it's just the worship of things, wealth, prosperity, power, sex, whatever it might be. And he says that there's a lot of different problems with that. The first one is that life just stops working. He says you find yourself pitted against creation if you exchange God for a lie. Life just stops working. 
But he says, even then, even if you've ignored the fact that God has a moral standard and a law, he says, even then we have our own law in us, the law of conscience. And he talks about how people who don't have God's moral standards still have this conscience that says, yeah, you're doing the right thing, or no, that's not right. I was up at the um, VW dealership just a few weeks back in the ongoing saga of our various cars. And um, some of you will have known that story to death. But there was a really interesting sign stuck up on the wall just inside one of the offices. And it said, always trust your gut. If you really honestly believe that something is wrong, it probably is. That was an interesting thing to put up inside a car dealership. And I'm not going to read anything into that chuckling, just in case we have any people here who run car dealerships. But (laughs) I think I found it really interesting because there's something in me that says, yes, yeah, I I agree with that. Often if something in me goes, "Mm, that's wrong, it probably is. But really, it's not a very good hard and fast rule to live by, is it? Because you can ask a complicated moral question and you'll get five different answers on what people's conscience tells them is right and they'll all deeply believe it because they hold different things in different priorities. And so Paul says, you know, even, even then that law doesn't work. You know, sometimes your conscience com- commends you, sometimes it condemns you. And then we have the third layer of trouble, which is even if we live by conscience, we still end up not keeping that. And I think we all know that whatever our moral standards We've done things that we are not proud of. And everybody has. You know, if, if you get to talking at that level, everybody has stuff that they're not proud of, that they've done, thought, said. So this is Paul's opinion of people who are without the law. It's a bit like getting your tax demand and writing and saying, well, I, I thought I was doing the right thing, and I've made most of my payments. It doesn't fly. Well, the bad news goes on for people who do have God's law. <laughs> this is the Jews. And they have this law that was given them by Moses. They have an oral tradition, a written tradition, and the law is embedded in their culture. Everything that they do and say and live is based on what God has said is good and right. And yet, Paul says, the difficulty with that is that they're not keeping it either. This is a bit like, where's Nigel? It's a bit like a tax accountant getting his tax return through, saying you owe lots of money and writing back and saying, no, I can't be true, I'm a tax accountant. It's like, well, just because you know the rules, you should know better. So I'm not meaning any... Uh... <laughs> I didn't prep Nigel for this. But I, that, that's the answer that comes back, isn't it? You should know better. If you wrote the tax laws, or at least you know them inside out, you should know better. And so Paul says, look, everybody is stuffed frankly, on this basis, in terms of what we've done, whether we're living the right way, in some way or other, everybody is stuffed. And that's the bad news. Okay, there we are. We're out of the way. It wasn't even half the time, was it? Okay, but that's the bad news. And it's important that we get that because that sinking sensation of reading a six-figure sum on a tax demand is roughly where we need to imagine ourselves morally before we get to Romans 3. So if you have a Bible... If you want to open it to Romans 3.21, this is what Romans 3 says. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given 
through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed previously unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, cutting across this bad news message, we have this amazing passage just here in Romans 3. God has made a way. What does this mean? Well, I want you to think back to these two letters. You've had your tax demand through. The bottom has just fallen out of your world. You're thinking, what am I going to do? Am I going to lose my house? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to go to prison? And then you open your second letter, and it's from St. James's Palace. It's a letter from the Queen. It says... um, I'd like to invite you to join the royal house permanently. We've got a room for you at the palace. Now, you'd be forgiven if your first response was, does this clear my debts? You know, I I have this massive weight on me. Does this clear my debts? And you read on it, it says, yes, but at a cost. You know, Prince William was sent to pay your debts for you. The bailiffs roughed him up, took his clothes and his wallet took him into debtor's court naked because his clothes had been taken, and there he paid all of your past and future debts. Yes, the debts are cleared. And this isn't some kind of shady deal or the Queen saying, look, make an exception for him, please. It was legitimately paid. And this is what Paul is saying here. God wanted to be just and the one who justified. He didn't want to somehow just ignore wrongdoing, but he wanted to be the one who fixed it, and so he did. So we have this, we have this horrible situation, and yet we have this incredible offer for it to be paid. And that's the gospel, right? No, no, I think there's more. Sorry, that was unfair, I trapped you, didn't I? You were just trying to be supportive, and here I was, leading you on. But no, you see, the thing is, most people, I think, outside the church, most people outside faith, think they're okay. They think they're, they're doing all right. You know, maybe not the best, but they're doing okay. And what, we, what we're trying to say to them with this gospel, which is absolutely true, everything I've said to you so far is true and is enough because it's in itself that's an incredible offer. But people are here and we say, look, the problem is you've got this massive issue, but it's okay because God makes it all right again. And they look at it and they say, well, you're giving me a problem I don't need and a solution that just gets me back where I started. Because you've got to bear in mind that at the moment people are not thinking in terms of there's an absolute truth And it's either right or it's wrong. So they're not thinking, well, if that is the case, I need to sort it out. They're thinking, well, look, I'm doing all right, and you're telling me I can be all right. But there's a lot more work involved in the process, isn't there? Well, I think that would be a little bit like saying, okay, well, thanks very much, Queen. Thanks for sorting out my debts. I'm going to stick at home and breathe a sigh of relief that my bank balance is in the black. And you know, every now and again, think, that was close. If we just think about the sin and the forgiveness, we're selling God short because the gospel is so much more than that. Now, Paul talks about it more in Romans, but actually there's another passage in Ephesians which makes it even clearer, I think. So if you want to turn to it, it's Ephesians 2, 
This is from verse 4. But because of his great love for us, I'm going to start that again. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this isn't from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I want to take some time to look at what is the rest of the gospel? I'm totally not saying that the first bit is not important because it's the absolute baseline of everything that we build on from there. But we need to think about what else the gospel is. You see, we're seated in heavenly realms. I trip that phrase off my tongue quite easily now, and it took me a while rereading it and rereading it to think, what does this mean? Well, we've got a picture here of the, of the palace. These are people seated in the royal palace at, um, at a banquet. I think it was in honor of um, Obama coming over. But if I went to Buckingham Palace, I don't belong there. I'm not sure I'd get past the front door. If I did, I'd be looking around rather nervously thinking, what do I do? How do I behave? What God is saying here is that we are seated in heavenly realms. We belong there. It's a place of rest. It's a place of belonging. It's a place of identity. And that is incredibly attractive. Uh, Steve, I think it was you were saying to me that one of, the th- one of the things that really resonates with people in Coleraine in Northern Ireland where people are coming to the Lord hand over fist is that there's an offer to, to pray with people and help them to connect with a God who they feel might be there but they can't connect with. And actually a lot of people believe in God in a kind of general fuzzy sense. They believe in God. But, and a lot of people actually pray but don't have any sense of connection. And what we're saying here is the gospel is, not only is there a God, not only does he love you, not only has he sorted out all of your sin and everything that kept you away from him, you belong with him. He wants you with him forever. We belong in the palace. That's attractive to people who have a fuzzy belief um, and don't connect. It's also attractive to, for instance, our Muslim friends who do firmly believe in God They truly believe there is a God, but they can't know that they belong with him. There's no assurance there. There's no sense of identity of being one with God, being part of his family. So it's incredibly attractive to them as well. This is an incredible part of the gospel. We are seated in heavenly realms, and it's a gift of God. You know, Paul makes it so clear. He says it again and again. It's grace. It's a gift. It's not by works. We can't boast. It's a gift. It's not dependent on daily how we're doing. We belong. Just like I don't get kicked out of my family if I have a bad day, thankfully. Um, You know, we don't get kicked out of God's family for a bad day or a bad month or even bad years. It's a gift that we're seated in heavenly realms and we belong there. I think that's incredible. I'm really encouraged by that. This is, you know, we've, we've taken people from, okay, you were there. There was sin there's redemption. We're starting to go into, into positive territory here, aren't we, really, with, with giving people something that is attractive to them because there's a need 
for everything that God is. But it's not just that we belong in the palace. You see, that in itself would be incredible. Just being seated at that banquet would be incredible. But why does he do it? Well, Paul goes on, doesn't he? He says, he did this. He raised us and seated us in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. God's purpose in seating us at heavenly realms, in making us belong, is to keep showing us kindness after kindness after kindness. And this is partly what these testimony cards are about. And I'm really glad, Steve, that you mentioned it just before we got talking about this, because I think it really helps if we rehearse how we think about life. Now, we could see life as a series of random events and things, good things happen and bad things happen. But actually, if we rehearse the fact in our heads and when we talk to each other, that every good and perfect thing comes from God. Then we can talk about it authoritatively. One of the massive blessings, and some of you will have seen it, some of you may even have been maimed by it, is that our little Florence has got a little whizzy bug, which is one of those um, wheelchairs that you can drive around uh, with a little joystick. And yeah, I'm, I'm afraid she was a bit of a, an ankle hazard this morning. Um, she's still getting the hang of it. But that's an incredible blessing, I could just say, oh, look, you know, a friend of a friend knew somebody. But actually what I see in that is the guidance of God in prompting somebody to talk to somebody else to talk to us. And God's provision in Florence being able to get hold of it and the people having had the right ideas and and all of that coming together. I see that as God's provision. Instead of it just being a random event. Now that means I can talk to people about this and say, God has blessed us. It's a blessing. It's not just a nice thing. They can be more dramatic. I saw a a testimony the other day on on a video of a couple whose baby, after being born, spent a lot of time in the ICU and had stopped breathing at one stage for four minutes. They thought that this baby was brain damaged and wasn't going to recover. And the mother and father just said, we're going to keep praying and trusting God. And it went on for a week, and the doctor came up to them and said, look, this is, this is not going to change. You need to start to make your peace with it. And he said, you know, can I call your pastor? I said, yeah, call our pastor. Who happened, for those of you who know the name, to be Catherine Runala. Um, she came in and she wasn't there to tap them on the shoulder and say, look, you'll be okay. She prayed with them. And they said to the doctor, what would be a miracle to you? He said, oh, she even opened her eyes that would be a miracle. They said, okay, we're going to pray for that. And two days later, she opened her eyes and looked at them. And since that time, has continued to develop as a healthy baby. That's a blessing from God. That's something that the world cannot offer. That's not just being redeemed from the pit, although that's incredible. That's God adding grace and kindness and grace and kindness. And that's just the goodness of God in the land of the living. We've got an eternity of God's grace and kindness continuing and growing, and it's, you know, no mind has ever conceived of the glorious things God has prepared for us. That's what the Bible says. However good you think it might be, you're wrong, because it's better. (laughs) And that's incredible. And that's forever. You know, in the ages to come, it's forever. This is part of the gospel. And then on top of that, because that wasn't enough for God, he gives us purpose as well. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I was listening to a talk not so long ago, and uh, the person who was talking said, you know, since the death 
of Nelson Mandela. Can you name a single statesman? Somebody who people can rally behind and believe in. And the very clear implication was, no, we don't really do that kind of figure anymore. People are cynical, people are disillusioned, and they want somebody and something to follow. And you see it in the radicalization of, of young people particularly. They want something to follow and to believe in, and they can lock onto that ideology and go for it. And actually, the world can seem quite purposeless at times. We have a message of purpose. It's fantastic. But we need to rehearse it as well. So, you know, I... I was going to say maybe God has purpose for you at work, maybe he has purpose for you at home. I actually thought of that phrase and I thought, that's stupid. God has purpose for us at work, definitely. And definitely at home and definitely everywhere in between. God has prepared good works for us to do already in advance. He's always known about them. He's always had them planned. And he's got them for us everywhere, wherever we go. It's, sometimes it's the big purpose things, you know, the overarching sense of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And perhaps that's most obvious, although not only present in caring professions, you know, midwifery or nursing, doctors, firefighters, teachers. It's perhaps most obvious there. But actually, I believe that God has overarching purpose for us, whatever we're doing for work and whatever we do at home. But it's also the individual bits as well, isn't it? It's that God had that little good work for me to do. God had that little good work for me to do. And to get a hold of that, we need to be walking step with God and listening to him. But do we talk about it that way? You see, I, I've, I've been preaching to myself on this one because I think I've allowed myself to drift at times in work and just think, well, I'm just going to... I know that my work is worth doing. I'm just going to turn up and do the things that need to be done. And actually, if I think about it in terms of, but God has prepared good works for me to do. If that's how I really think about it, I can talk authoritatively about that. People can say, what do you do for a living? And I can say, well, you know, actually, I seek to follow God by this, by this, by this, rather than just saying, oh, well, it's in my job description too. I'm polarizing it slightly. I wouldn't say that anyway. But I think if we want to really be able to talk authoritatively about the fact that the gospel includes a sense of purpose, as well as belonging and grace and kindness, then we need to think about it that way and talk about it that way to each other as well. And it can be easy just to rush through life, too busy to think about it. Um, you know, if, you're, if you have a family, if you um, have a busy job, then you can just get home too tired to think about it. And then the next day, you know, you're off to work again. And at the other end of the scale, if you're unemployed or just in a job that bores you, it can just be easy to see no purpose in life. And I think it's important that we find God's purpose in our life and that we pursue him in it and that we talk about it to each other. So I'd like to open that conversation. I would love to know in individual conversations with people, I'd love to know what it is that God is talking to you about in your workplace, in your home. I'd love people to ask me that so I keep remembering that that's an important way to think about life. Purpose is an attractive part of the gospel. So I just want to pause there for a second because this gospel, we've talked about it in four different parts. We've said, yes, there's sin, but God redeems the sin. God seats us in heavenly realms. I'm not going to be tall enough to do, keep going up, am I? But God then shows us grace and kindness, and then he gives us purpose. And that is an incredible gospel. That's an amazing message of hope. That's an amazing message of belonging. That's an amazing message of redemption and forgiveness and life in its fullness. You know, that's what Jesus said, didn't he? He said, the thief comes to steal 
and to destroy, but I've come to bring life in all its fullness. And it can be easy to think about that in fluffy terms. This is what it looks like in concrete terms. Redemption, grace, kindness, belonging, and purpose. I just felt strongly preparing this, that actually there would be somebody here who hasn't yet engaged with that gospel and who would like to. And so I'd really just like to give you an opportunity to do that. Um, I don't normally do this, but as I say, I felt like this was a prompting from God. So I wonder, could we all just shut our eyes for a second? And if, as you've heard this, you've thought, yes, I want forgiveness. I recognize that I need it. I want forgiveness. I want to belong with God. I want a purpose for my life that means something. And I want to live a life of being eternally blessed by God. Um, I just wonder if you'd raise your hand, actually. And I just want to give you that opportunity to, to commit and say, yeah, this is what I want.